Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. As a theme within our podcast is thinking bigger, starting small and looking at, okay, why do we do things a certain way? Because it allows us to scale. This is the Think Big Property Podcast, where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this episode, we're going to be talking about cosmetic versus structural renovations and the biggest differences between the two. We delve into how cosmetic renovations might be the way to go, especially if you're a novice renovator, how structural renovations can add the most value but also cost the most money for time and resources, plus much, much more. Renovations can be a powerful way of being able to add value and quickly turn a profit with the sale of your property. We find out about what the best type of renovation might be depending on your situation. Oftentimes, people when they start in property, they always think about, oh, I'm going to do a renovation and I think it's a really good place to start. Um, Oftentimes, we're stimulated with the TV shows, uh, whether it's Renault Rumble or this and that, you know, where, where they're knocking down rooms and painting it and putting in floor coverings and they've gotten you know, pretty hardcore with it as you know it's very very popular kind of like the cooking shows um, but I think we really need to break it on down and, and take it past um, the TV show and put it in reality um, because sometimes you know people get excited people think yep I can do this I can do that but practically speaking when you've got no skills in construction um, it doesn't mean you can copy what other people do. So we generally break down renovations into two elements, which is cosmetic and structural. And um, from a cosmetic point of view, it's kind of like putting lipstick on the place. Uh, It's a cheap cosmetic um, makeover. You can do it very, very quickly. Um, So I think the few elements and qualifications or criteria for cosmetic is one, definitely low cost. Um, I like to think of a cosmetic renovation if you can do it for less than 20k is really really good Um, you can do it very quickly some of the things you can do it by yourself even and when I say quickly relative time frame is one two maybe four weeks Um, and at least adding uh, twice if not three times the value of of the uh, renovation itself so things that you can do uh, as an examples are for example uh, kitchen bathroom painting, uh, floor coverings, uh, fencing, those are some really, really good examples. Even just a bit of landscaping just at the front, you know, tidying up the lawns, maybe planting a few trees, that kind of stuff can really, really make changes to the, 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 I guess, the cosmetic side of the property. And I, I think that's really interesting because, I mean, we're, we're just looking, as you said, lipstick, cosmetic things, just as you said, quick paint jobs, maybe changing a few fittings on the doors, 
um, maybe change a few light bulbs here and there to make you know things look a little bit more pretty. Because if you go into an older style home, it's it's yeah, some things can be quite dated. So bringing it up by changing a few of the cosmetic things is quite a simple job. I guess maybe a lot of people would be wondering why should they even consider doing renovations because it does sound like there's a lot of work that's involved um, to even try and make a few bucks here. I think uh, oftentimes the thing that with renovations that people like is that they can do a lot of it themselves and they can do it very, very quickly. So, you know, as distinct from building a house, most people can't build a house. They don't have the qualifications, they don't have the skills, but give someone a paintbrush and nine times out of 10, if they're able and they've got some energy, they're happy to do it, you know. In terms of floor coverings, all it is is just ripping it up and, and paying someone to roll out some carpet. Um, some people, you know, like to um, lay the tiles, but I, I think painting is a really good example because you can paint the house, you can paint the doors, you can paint the fence, paint the carport, paint the shed. Anybody can do that. Uh, other basic things like demolition, people can pull out a kitchen, pull out a bathroom. Um, Obviously, you know, people, if they're a trade, if they're a plumber or a carpenter, they're handy, right? So people who are handy, they want to try to save money. They can potentially install the kitchen themselves, install the bathroom themselves, um, install the tap fittings, um, put it, put up a fence. You know, a lot of handymen do fence installations. So um, my point is that they can do it themselves and they don't need um, necessarily uh, approvals from council. So therefore, uh, th and that's why, you know, Bunnings really thrives because it's a lot on DIY. It'd be interesting to actually talk a little bit about some examples of things where things could go wrong because I don't really need to talk about the things that go great because you see them all on those TV shows like The Block and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, they've been all cut into an entertaining show and they show, you know, how easy it could be or how glamorous it's going to be and, you know, the, the end result to make XYZ profit. But when we actually peel it back and go, okay, what are some potential issues or what are some of the devastating disasters that could happen in this? It'd be interesting to sort of take a step back and look at that because I'm sure that we've got plenty of stories to share. I can tell you some experiences from my own. Um, but yeah, you probably also met many students who have gone through that. What, what are some possible, possible situations where things just don't go right? Why go to the students when I can just go here, mate? Um, to my own examples, mate. So I'm very, very uh, proud of some of the crazy things that have happened. Um, look, on-site uh, workplace and healthy uh, health and safety is a huge issue. Um, you know, sometimes when you're doing your own stuff at home and you're a bit sloppy, you can leave stuff lying around. You know, nails, step in a can of paint, spill paint, um, crazy things like that. Like even we had this lino on the floor and I reckon it was there for like 30 years and it just would not come up so scraping it took manpower to scrape it up had we known that we would just laid the lino over the top of the other lino we were trying to just you know make it prettier and, and remove the lino and, and lay some lino on the concrete versus just laying the lino on top of the old lino um, I had one this was a crazy one where and it was combined with development where we had um, there's a garage that we built in and we put windows, took the garage doors out, put the studs in, put the window, bought the windows, turned it into a room downstairs. It wasn't legal height, but in, in terms of a storage room with windows. And then my council application for the subdivision came through and to fit this block of land in, I realized I had to cut that part of the building off. So, <laughs> so 
my dad and my brother had done the studs, knocked out the garage doors, which was easy, turn it into a, an extension of a room. And then next thing you know, we had to knock it down <laughs> literally a month later. And that was, yeah, that was pretty gut-wrenching because you'd spent all that money, bought all the gear, and then you knock it down. Mine's to do with waterproofing. <laughs> okay. They're, 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 never, they're never, you know, good. Especially in my experience, I would definitely recommend getting a tradesperson to do it properly because when you try and do it yourself and, uh, yeah, just try and seal things up, just things just don't go right. And you learn just by watching how they do it because it, it's quite a, it, it's a very, you need to be very articulate but also too at the same time have a very steady hand to do these type of things. So, mm. what we were trying to do was some and it wasn't a big, big thing you know, for us because it was a fish pond we actually was doing in the landscape in the back. My father loves fish. So, what yeah. we did was um, we, we, we managed to dig a nice big hole in the back and we're thinking, okay, we'll get some bricklayers to lay the bricks and all that kind of stuff in the back and they did. They did it successfully without a problem. And we thought, all right, why don't we just pour a bit of concrete to concrete it all up and hopefully after that, we can just lay down all the fibro, uh, not fibro, um, fiberglass to, to seal it all up so that way it become, you know, seal proof and all that kind of stuff. And we thought, oh, we'll install our own tanks and so forth. Anyway, long story short, after doing that for about two or three weeks and stuff, we poured the, all the water in and the, the, probably the tank itself was probably, and this is an in-ground fish tank, I should say, in-ground fish tank where we could put some koi and all that kind of stuff. And we're trying to, you know, create our own mini swimming pool really for these guys. Um, yes. After about two or three weeks of doing that, it was pretty much day and night that we're doing it. Um, <laughs> we, we put the water in, had the tanks all running and about, I think, two or three hours later, we started seeing all the water gush out on the side. Oh, no. oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, but yeah, that lesson learned was, you know, at the end of the day, get some professional tradespeople come in and he actually yeah. had to rip the whole thing out and oh, relay no. the whole thing again oh, to seal no. it up properly. Yeah, it was a pretty tedious task. But he actually did it in about, I think, three days, you know, yes. only maybe a few yes. hours a day actually compared to what we did day and night. Yeah. So, I've learned yeah. my big lesson there and my, my hands were, were pretty rough after that. Same thing. <laughs> we, we, same not thing not we, now, mate. Not now. You're on the keyboard now. now so. <laughs> you know, I make sure I put the hand cream on every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. No more gardening gloves. Yeah, no, so right. I, I think... It's from those kind of lessons, you you learn that sometimes it's actually faster to get someone to pay for it because the time that you spent doing it, even though unless you really enjoy and you're passionate about doing these things yourself and you want to learn and do it, do it yourself, I, I don't recommend doing it because the amount of time that you spend, the amount of time you could have actually done something else, it's an opportunity cost yeah. that yeah. you could actually get someone else to do it is, yeah. is well worth it. It's like changing um some knobs on, on or like, you know, if you've got a leaking tap and stuff, I did try and yeah. change it myself. And I thought, yeah. oh yeah, it'll be easy just to unlock it and you know get a, a spanner, which I had plenty of tools and you know downstairs because my dad loves to buy tools. <laughs> right. And, uh, every time you know something that's leaked, I thought, yep, yeah, you know I'll just do it myself, unlock it and so forth, and pop out the the seal and replace yes. it with a brand new one. I did that for a few times, and then I think unfortunately one time for some reason that particular tap was was like locked up, and I didn't know mm. what was going on, so I managed to hit it with a hammer. And unfortunately, oh, no. <laughs> you know, Hannah, the whole thing just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like, turn off the water at the main or? No, that was the stupid thing oh, I forgot to do. Oh, no. So, yeah, you can imagine the whole place was flooded with water for a little bit <laughs> and my dad wasn't too happy with that. So, <laughs> yeah, lesson to be learned. Make sure you firstly turn off the taps. <laughs> Secondly, yes. if it's yes. too hard to push over, don't force it. <laughs> Let's talk about the pros and cons of doing it yourself versus 
getting a tradesperson who's qualified to do it. Hey, let, let's talk about that while we're talking about cosmetic because I do find that it takes a while, especially when you're starting out, to get your head around why you should pay somebody else because I definitely think a pro of doing it yourself is if you know what you're doing, let, let's say you're a carpenter, right? Even, even if you're a carpenter, we'll talk about pros and cons of doing it yourself. One, the pros is you definitely save money. Right, save money. If it's fifty-five bucks an hour, sixty bucks an hour, you save money. And you, you're on site. Your turn. It's your own house. You turn up. You do it on weekends, whenever. Essentially, you know you're going to turn up. This is the thing because you know that it's your place and it's your your own. And you'll turn up there. Thing is, it, it becomes sort of like, yeah, you know, I'll do it maybe tomorrow, and then you delay and delay, and and that's the thing. You you keep staring at it, going, yeah, yeah, I'll get it done. But the thing is, because you're there. That you've got no urgency to do it and therefore it delays the project and i've learned so many times like when i'm saying i'm going to paint a room just to you know clean it all up by the time you move everything all out you just stand there and just go gosh it's going to take me at least a few hours i think i'll go and play video game or you know go out and you know go, go out and eat and you know watch a movie and so forth and then you just end up delaying it so i think that's that's the challenge if you try to do it yourself as well Yes, you do definitely save money but it may take a little bit longer than someone who is a dedicated person who will come in and say, look, I'm going to come at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, complete in an hour and it's all done. But yes, you know, you got to pay that 55, 65 bucks an hour for whatever it is but that saves you so much time which you can go and do other things. I think the other, I guess the other pro or maybe doing it yourself is <laughs> you think that you can do it. <laughs> you know, if you've never ever done something like that and you think you want to have a go, yeah, fine, you know, you can learn something. And I think maybe that's probably where the DIY goes, yeah, I want to learn how to do this because maybe potentially in the future, I can do it again for some other project. And that usually never happens to be honest. <laughs> so, and you're going to spend all that money on buying all these tools, you spend that money on trying to learn how to do it and in the end, you spend more money actually in fact to do it yourself than to actually get someone in. And that's what we don't realize see the differences because you don't factor in your time cost. You ask yourself, if you're going out to work for a company and you're getting paid a daily rate, you know, $100, $200 or $300 an hour for example, how much does it actually cost a plumber to come in? If it's going to cost you $55, $65 an hour, wouldn't it be smarter for you to you know, go and work in your job and pay someone else that $55 an hour to do it for you? And it's just you know, factoring those things in and making those comparisons and having a mindset shift to think, gosh, I can actually go out there and do my own thing, whether it be spending more time with family, going out to movies or having fun and someone else can do that job. So yeah, I, I think that those are some of the points I, I would say for pros and cons. I think one of the other cons that people don't see, especially when you're wanting to do multiple deals as well, is that it takes you out of the game in terms of hunting for a property deal. I've had so many guys and girls, you know, if you're in the middle of a reno, all you're focusing on is on the reno versus looking at your next investment or next deal or next investor uh, or finance. Because, so, you know, there's so many other elements of property, not just the, the renovation. There's the sales point of view, there's the finance point of view, there's the development point of view and acquisitions as well. So that's a big part of why I suggest that guys in my clients that they go and they focus on acquisitions. That's where 80% of their energy should be focused, not on the tools. And, you know, if they want to turn up, once a day for an hour a day, supervise, clarify things, make sure the mirror is straight, make sure the tiles uh, laid the right way. An hour a day, you know, over three to four weeks is more than fine. But 
necessarily it's just focusing on the end game and focusing on, on the acquisition because I've found clients have, let's say they've done a six-week reno and then they're waiting for the building to sell or the property to sell. From start to finish, they're out of the market for six months and it can take two to three months to get back into the market because you've lost momentum. You're not talking to real estate agents. You're not talking to property owners. You're just not on top of the game of, of what's happening. So I, I think that's, I personally think that's one of the biggest costs is like you said before, the opportunity costs where you could be focusing on your job and making more money. But more so importantly, I think is focusing on the next acquisition, doing market research so that once this one's done and you're ready to purchase straight away or it's sold at auction, you're cashed up, you're already negotiating on your next deal. And that downtime is is very, very difficult to um, yeah, make up uh, with momentum. I can relate to that completely because that's what's happening at the moment with my working partner and us. He's, um, he's very good at doing the renovations and he's been managing a lot of the renovations now but I think it was a mindset shift over a period of time that he's realizing, gosh, you know, one deal can take, you know, as you said, up to six months or so to do the renovations and not necessarily was he actually in there actually doing the renovations that often but when he was in there, he didn't have time to actually go meet with agents, didn't go out and look at property. And um, he was just saying that to me, look, I would rather be doing subdivisions right now than to actually go manage tradespeople because to manage tradespeople takes time out of your day when that potential time could actually be continuously looking for more deal flow as you're saying to bring in to consistently bring that kind of um, activity in to do more deals therefore generating more income. So it's that mindset shift of actually changing, okay, if I'm really going to do renovations, do I really, really want to manage people? Or do I want to just do like subdivisions as we've been talking in previous episodes and continue to just manage that paperwork because I guess it is just an opportunity cost as you've just said and um, from experience, I would rather be sitting behind a computer and managing paperwork for a few hours a day compared to being on site with a tradesperson to manage them that runs over six weeks. It depends on what you, what your strategy is. From a renovation point of view, and, and that's where the costs can mount up and, and that's where the deal has to be quite profitable, is that you might hire a builder to manage the tradespeople and all you're doing, for example, let's say I'm building some townhouses, what I'll do is I'll turn up once a week and then I'll do the inspections and then I'll ring the builder and say, mate, I need this order, this order, this order, this order. So you're not physically there. You know, there's so different levels of management where you are um, micromanaging the tradespeople, you're ringing them, um, you're organizing them, you're correcting them, you're paying them, that's one way. Or you could engage a builder to manage those tradespeople. And yes, it's going to cost you an extra few grand to do that. But in terms of your time and leverage, that's where it comes in to leverage that time uh, so that you have someone managing that team of half a dozen tradespeople who are painters and plumbers and electricians and and all that to coordinate that um, and so yeah your one hour is effectively uh, applied across a half a dozen tradespeople. Actually, you raised a very interesting point just a moment ago about the costs. See, maybe just to mention in terms of a renovation probably con I guess you can say as well is there are unexpected costs that you may not see. See, if you're going to actually be building, for example, a brand new house, all the costs are pre- that's associated are pretty much predicted and it's budgeted all in. But for example, if you're doing a renovation on something that you've never seen what's behind the walls or underneath the sink or whatever or mold that could come from wherever it is, there would be probably additional costs that would come into play which is unforeseen. And that, that's the challenge we face and hear about renovations is that these unforeseen 
situations or circumstances that happen. For example, if you're about to pull out a wall and you find out that inside that wall, there's been um, water dripping inside and you don't know until you pull out and it's all moldy and it's affected the whole foundation of it, then you may have to get an engineer to come in and, and reassess the whole situation. Some people have pulled out a whole um, wall or, or, or ceiling and found out that all the wiring is completely wrong. You know, it's it's dangerous. It's not safe. They have to rewire the whole thing. So instead of actually being just a simple, you know, replacement of a ceiling because there's maybe cracks and damages of that, it becomes a whole rewiring job, a whole foundation laid again. So these are the things that um, people probably need to take into consideration before they do any renovations or anything like that. And um, I guess that's something that we as I guess being in this game would gain from experience because we've done it and been there before and I know from experience of doing a renovation in a few of the places that I've been in, yeah, just things just don't turn out the way they, they expect. I mean, the result at the end is great but sometimes there are going to be definitely delays that you need to factor in and the additional cost because at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to be expected there. I think having said all that and, and all the pros and the cons, I think Cosmetic renovations are a really good place to start to cut people's teeth on the process on what works and what doesn't work with renovations because um, once they've done a few, they will realize hopefully that, um, yeah, they've got to leverage their time. Um, but I, I do find you know, the first one or two people doing it themselves, they definitely get a set of satisfaction. They realize how hard it can be to do renovations successfully, especially if you're on the tools, how time consuming it is. And Sometimes people just go learn the hard way. That's what I figured out in terms of my training with people is that I can tell them until my face is black and blue on how to do it best practice. But you know what? I've had to learn the hard way. And once you do, like I said, a couple of cosmetic renovations, you might make 50, 100 grand. But you're going, geez, that's the hardest 50, 100 grand I've ever worked for. Um, not just because you bought the house with finances, but you've also uh, expended your energy. So, And then you start, pop your ears start popping open, go, okay. Maybe there is a smarter way. Maybe there is a better way. Um, maybe you know, the other thing actually we'll talk about being on the trades and the tools is there's a cost on your body as well. And and I've seen it time and time again, people in their 60s and 70s who are trades people and they're tough as in, you know, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they're very, very tough. But when they're 60s and 70s and their body's falling apart, they're not very tough anymore. So don't get me wrong, there's a place for it but I'm happy to pay for that. So it's like a health insurance policy that someone else can be on the tools and be the hero, be the he-man. That's fine. Sometimes it's even hearing, you know, noise and people going deaf from uh, not being responsible on site, you know, just managing that and allows you to leverage. I'm thinking about scalability. Can you do it long-term? Um, so therefore I'm, I, I look at things that, are, that you can do multiple of um, when you're, renovating one house and you're on the tools you can't do five houses you can't do five townhouses you can't do um, 20 apartments if you're the painter and painting every room right so yeah it, it's just a, a matter of limiting and, and thinking bigger um, as a theme within our podcast is thinking bigger starting small and looking at okay why do we do things a certain way because it allows us to scale it means you don't have to do 100 apartments in one go i'm saying but i'm saying well the principles we're teaching means you can go to five townhouses, five lot subdivision without you know having a heart attack or burning yourself out or you know um, hurting yourself because you're just on the tools too much, having a hernia. You know, I had another client recently who's a handyman and uh, also draftsman and uh, past builder. He can't do trades, he can't do handyman work anymore because he had a double hernia or something. So um, yeah, and he's not even that old, you know, early fifties, but 
your health at some stage, uh, there's a price to pay. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into structural renovations. A structural renovation is usually a much bigger job and it usually requires a council approval. Just how difficult structural renovations can be. It's not for the faint-hearted once again and if you're going to start, definitely start with the cosmetic renovation because you can do that very, very quickly. We hear about Nan's own personal renovation story. So, yeah, five bed, one kitchen to six bed with a kitchen and a kitchenette and essentially it could be a dual key um, or a dual occupancy. So that's next and you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. Hey podcast listeners, we want to give you something extra special just for listening. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and subscribe, you'll receive a free chapter from Nung's book called Bankable. Inside, you'll learn about which development strategy is right for you, where you can find the best bargains, buy property at a discount and how do you get free blocks of land. Simply visit thinkbigproperty.com to get your free chapter. The next type of renovation is a structural renovation and we explain what this entails and how it looks like. In contrast to cosmetic renovation, a structural renovation is usually a much bigger job and it usually requires a council approval. So a really good couple of examples of it, it might be extending the house, um, you might lift up the house or you might have a removal house. So that definitely requires council approval and it also requires moving buildings and structural um, resources like walls and um, frames and pillars and posts and, and things like that. So um, because it is a significant renovation, the, the last one with the cosmetic, rather than roughly $20,000 or less, we're talking it can be a hundred to 500 grand plus. You know, some people in um, you know, on the top of hills with city views, water views, they have no qualms about essentially adding to their house and spending half a million dollars because it potentially could make $1 million and double their return. So um, there's definitely a place for this. Uh, I've done a structural renovation where we extended our house. It wasn't a big structural renovation. It was probably you know, $250,000 or something like that. Um, but it did give us uh, extended the granny flat, uh, included a granny flat, sorry, uh, a kitchen, uh, bathroom uh, as part of that granny flat as well as a carport. So some of the cons and, and pros of it. So pros is definitely you can make a lot of money doing structural renovation. Uh, if you get it right, you, know, you might buy a property um, at Redfern that's really run down and it's essentially you just because you can't knock it down for some whatever reason, heritage protected, and but you can extend out the back. Um, you know, with a 500 grand investment, hypothetically, you could make a lot of money from it because it becomes a dog box to a palace as an example. So, um, yeah, but um, yeah, but definitely cons is it, they do take a long time because they, they are a lot bigger. Uh, and you're also, if you're using existing buildings, integrating those two buildings together can be a back, pain in the backside because you're trying to match, for example, timber floors, uh, window frames, um, make it congruent with all the um, rooms and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just very, very challenging. I think it's, it's a really, really smart strategy to go down as well because at the end of the day, 
like what we're trying to do is leverage and with say for example structural renovations as you said it's got to go through council but at the same time it's not something that you'd probably want to do yourself you'd probably want to get a proper builder come in to say for example knock down the walls or, or to build an extension in the back it's not something you'll be putting picking up bricks or laying concrete yourself um, i don't recommend that so it's actually uh, probably more towards the way i would go rather than a cosmetic renovation like usually I, i'd be happy to do a cosmetic renovation if it didn't firstly cost too much and also the time frame which we just talked about but in terms of structure if i know that it's going to add say three four five ten times the value of the property then I'd definitely go, okay, yep, this would be an example or a great way to part go down. Now, I, I could probably share with you an example which I'm actually going through right now on a commercial property that I've got down in, in, uh, in Victoria at the moment and we're just planning to re, redo or restructure the, the actual top floor to have um, two apartments or two units up there because currently at the moment, it's got about, I think, four, yeah, four separate rooms and those four separate rooms were originally offices that were rented out but as the markets changed down there, we thought, okay, it's going to attract more of a residential market. So, we thought we're going to change the top part into a residential two units there. Plus, I'm also applying to council right now to extend it out for the third unit on the left-hand side. And then on top of that, we're going to try and get DA approval to build the third floor up as well too. So, I've got a lot going on in that one particular property. But in saying that, I know that as soon as we've got those approvals and that um, structural renovation done, which we're putting approximately about 120K into that to do, the value of the property will rise from say 600 anywhere up to about 900 to about a million dollars. So, for that kind of return, I'd be happy to do that. Obviously, it's going to take a lot longer than say, you know, a few weeks. It's going to be at least a minimum of six months for all that to happen. But as a long-term investment and positive cash flow, a commercial property I've got here, it covers most costs anyway and it'll pay itself off and it'll become a long-term passive income. So, that's kind of like a structural innovation for me. I'm not knocking down anything in the back. All I'm doing is just adjusting the top and, and reconfiguring inside. And it looks easy on paper because when you do the drawing, you go, yep, I'm going to move that room there. I'm going to put the bathroom there and all that. It's almost like a, a, a game of Lego. But when it actually comes to the real thing to be done, gosh, it's a completely different story. So, yeah, there, there are some pros and cons in that. So, yeah, I guess, Nyang, what I was just curious about too is with regards to, say, for example, structural is there anything else that I guess we we would probably want listeners to understand behind it? Because it, it's it's great to see them all take effect and you know see the end result. But are there any other major things that potentially you've experienced in the past that they would need to be aware of? I think just like we've said before, with the ladder of complexity, is increasing um, budgets and increasing complexity of the renovation makes it more uh, risky. Uh, simply because you've got more moving parts and things are taking longer and you're removing things. Like you said before, you could take down a wall and realize there's water behind there, there's a leak, there's mold, there's termites. Um, so it, it's not for the faint-hearted once again. And if you're going to start, definitely start with a cosmetic renovation because you can do that very, very quickly. You're not stripping walls, you're just adding lipstick over the top there budget budgetary wise uh, oftentimes a cosmetic you can do with your own resources with cash you know you might chuck in 10 20 thirty thousand um, dollars to be able to pay for that whereas the structural renovations on the other hand because it's a more, lot more finances required you're potentially going to have to borrow for that so you're talking 100 grand 500 grand plus not necessarily going to have that in your equity so you might go need to go to the bank with a build contract and finance that um, accordingly so 
there are other elements of risk, a bit more work involved. Um, I think learning how to do the cosmetic renos uh, is really, really handy. I've, I've got a couple of examples I might throw in while we're uh, fresh on this topic because you could, yeah, how about we talk about a couple of easy cosmetic ways to, to add value, hey? And then people can extrapolate that to structural if they want. Um, and we can talk about examples that I've done as well. So a cosmetic one I've done in the past, for example, is uh, in a house, it was a five bedroom. So cosmetic reno was we, um, it had a really big living area. And so we just put up a couple of walls, put in a door, so turned that into a bedroom house. And then at the same time, the laundry, we turned that into a kitchenette. So it had two taps, for example. And so we put a bench top across that and, and a sink and then still had um, space for a front loader underneath that bench. And so that was um, turned into a kitchenette where you can potentially put a couple of cooktops and things like that as well. So it turned from a five bed, one kitchen uh, to a, um, sorry, yeah, five bed, one kitchen to a six bed with a kitchen and a kitchenette. And essentially it could be a dual key um, or a dual occupancy. I'm looking actually at the, the actual floor plan of it and the, the actual bedroom is in the middle of the house that you added right where the lounge room. That's fascinating. How long did that project take to do? I think it was two weeks. So all up, I think it cost us $4,000 um, and that those walls that we put up were, it was a previously actual uh, previous bedroom there previously. So there was a half wall taken down and then a full wall taken down and so we just put up, refilled in that half wall to a full wall and the other full wall so it already had uh, floor coverings in it so I think we just replaced the floor coverings in that particular room because it was uh, quite old and green and so yes converted reconverted a five bed uh, back into a added that six bedroom there and then added that kitchenette so in rather than renting for let's say 320 the rental appraisal came in at 450 and then we promptly were able to, to, to sell that so an increase of rental income of you know, 150, 130 bucks a week is, is a fair bit uh, proportionally, about 30% increase in rent. And so the value of the property, we found it uh, quite easier to sell um, because of that uh, add value. So what kind of profit did you make out of that particular property? I think it was uh, $20,000 was a profit and uh, it was just a quick turnover in a period of 10 weeks or something like that. So um, I'd secured it previously uh, prior to Christmas and then we put it back on the market and sold it by February. So in 90 days, I, I think I just turned it over for a quick 20K profit. Um, and, and I really wanted to show my clients what they can do when they put their mind to it, when there's an opportunity there and, and they can just get in and get out and get paid. Um, the tradespeople, uh, the guy named, um, I can't remember his name actually, Jerry, I think it was, and uh, he helped me out. He owed me a favor uh, from previous, and yeah, that's why we were able to work over Christmas and uh, New Year's. Short period of time to make 20K, and as you said, it only took four weeks for the renovation and then to sell it 10 weeks. That's a very, very fast turnaround, so that, that's an excellent deal. Adding bedrooms is a really good way, especially if you've got big living areas or big lounge rooms that you can just put up a couple of walls and a door. Changing a two into three is a really good way, an easy way to um, be able to add value. I think that that's very, very smart in doing that and I, I've heard that a lot of success stories behind um, doing that because I, I can actually vouch that I, I haven't done this in an apartment but I, I saw where we were previously renting, there was a massive living room and I thought, gosh, if I just put a wall just down where because the thing is, the living room and the dining room were kind of combined and it was so large that I thought <laughs> would be nice to actually have another bedroom like turn into a four-bedroom apartment and I know that there are actually some four-bedroom apartments in this complex too that we're living at 
then it could in- easily increase the value from say seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars just by you know simply adding a wall. And that wouldn't have taken long. It would have only taken a day or two to do the tradesperson to come in and then you know put in a built-in wardrobe or even just you know those kind of wardrobes that you could just buy from IKEA and so forth. And you would have made yourself a quick hundred thousand dollars, or even just increase the rental by at least another hundred dollars a week. So. Very, very, very easy things to do actually. And the other things that you can do, like I mentioned, is you know add a kitchenette or add a bathroom or things like that. I do find that the you know, houses with um, timber floors are a lot easier to do. Obviously, if you've got a concrete floor, it's quite hard to do. But timber floors, um, if you are doing a, adding a bathroom or adding a kitchen kitchenette, things like that, and, and taps, you may need to get council approval if you're adding an extra toilet. Um, but my point is that it's just the principle of, of thinking about it. The timber floors are good, as obviously, because you can just cut a hole in the timber and go underneath, whereas with concrete floors, it's very, very hard and difficult to, to be able to access that plumbing without um, costing you an arm and a leg and, and inspections and problems and things like that. So um, other things that you can do really, really simple are, uh, Car accommodation, so yeah, you could put a lean-to on for, for a carport. Um, fencing is really, really easy and cheap to do as well. You know, 50, 60 bucks a, a lineal meter. Uh, oftentimes, you know, a house may have no front fence. So why that's a problem is people might want have kids and they just want some security or they might have a pet that they want to, to be able to constrain there. So having a front fence, nice white picket fence is really, really easy to do. Um, get it installed, paint it yourself if you want to. Um, a lean-to, which is like a, a carport with two posts on the side of the house, is really, really quick to do. Uh, you may need to get a, a building approval if you're going to do a, a proper carport. Um, you know, Concrete driveway, uh, that, that's pretty basic to do. Um, painting the outside of the house, um, installing in air conditioning, even might be a, a basic thing and, and a couple of fans um, for a rental point of view is, is really, really attractive. Uh, polishing the floorboards, ripping up the, the floor coverings and if there's timber floors, that's a really, really uh, big add value for not a lot of cost um, to do that. Yeah, I'm just thinking back as, as tenants as well too, what I've requested for in the past because I'm also thinking from the rental point of view and as you mentioned, aircon's quite an important thing especially in Sydney, it gets really hot. And I, I kind of scratch my head going myself, a lot of the properties that I've seen in the past that are new, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised why they don't have aircons in the bathroom, uh, in, in the bathrooms, in the bedrooms. <laughs> it's very strange because, you know, if, if the house has been built new and um, it's quite a lot of like spacious areas, they only just seem to be putting in like a split system in the main bedroom and also in the lounge room. But I'm like, why do they not put it in the other bedroom, especially when they're for kids and stuff? makes it quite challenging for them to rent out and I've seen that you know on a number of occasions here and then in the end you'd have to request for that to be done and sometimes landlords are happy to install it obviously increasing the rent just a little bit but that's a really really good add value there. Uh, I think what's also probably really really important is um, maybe perhaps a, a, a sort of a what's it called a backyard area because a lot of times um, not having an awning or maybe not awning like like what as you said just the carport um, with those two stilts there is, is extremely good ad value but I think also just having like an extra sheltered area in the back seems to also add a little bit of value there because people if they're particularly got kids or want to actually set up a, like a um, barbecue in the back and you know eat out of the back that can add on an extra value because one of the, the homes I've, I've seen not long ago they, they were very smart they, they actually built out there's this big big backyard and what they did was they built out a little roof on top and then they had 
closing and opening doors, just like an almost an alfresco era, but it was and then also almost like a room as well too, like an outdoor room. I don't know what they call it in Queensland. Like I think the Queenslander, um, oh, outdoors. It's like a mini. It's like an an extra room, but you've you've got to open and close the doors on the outside in order for that. Um, It'll come to me in a moment. But yeah, anyway, that, that extra value of adding that extra room, people have actually converted that into potentially another room to stay in like a, a sleep out room or whatever it's called. So yeah, things like that I think are really, really powerful to do. And if you implement something like that on, on the side of the house, if you've got a you know big backyard space, it can actually add a lot of value to it too. Even just a sale out the back there with some nice grass. Um, what I've been doing uh, lately is, you know, is with my rentals, if I'm going to keep it, I won't necessarily put down grass. But if you're selling it, you make, you know, get some really, really good grass there. A sale at the back and outdoor, sometimes it's for you know barbecues or people want to smoke outside. It, it, that really, really works as well. Um, I think that one of the things to maybe avoid if you're thinking about it, very unique situations though is that sometimes people think um, adding a swimming pool will add value. I think I'd rather yeah suggest people not um, because yeah people are quite um, have mixed opinions on pools and if you've got an area for people to install pools, let them do it themselves because yes yeah, pools can be a high maintenance thing and, and some people want it and some people don't. So uh, I think that uh, if especially if in winter if you're selling a place uh, having a pool made people go geez you know it's cold we're not going to use a pool while we buy the place so yeah a pool is a personal preference so i think that's definitely something to uh, leave it out for now if you're going to buy it and live it in it yourself and you want the pool great but as a selling value uh, and a selling item as a getting a return on investment i think uh, unless it's a very very specific scenario where it's you know a monster block of land and you've got 10 acres and you've got acreage and you've got this and that and you want to add in the pool for lifestyle because you think it'll add value to the end buyer great but yeah in most instances yeah just leave it alone everything's got to have some kind of roi so if 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 you know you add in a carport or you know add in an extra bedroom and so forth and that definitely increased the value of the property then definitely by all means for investment purposes and you know looking to make a, a profit on it i definitely go with it um and i think that's that's the powerful thing about looking at it from so many different angles because having it from a structural cosmetic renovation point of view there's just so many things that you can potentially do as well and i guess that's that's what's really really key about this is seeing with a sort of a creative eye to say, okay, what can I do potentially this property to add more value to it that will be appealing to a potential buyer or a potential tenant that will be interested in renting it as well. Just a couple of other ideas while we're finishing up because all the ideas are coming out now right at the end. Um, it, I've heard from one of my colleagues that you know, rather than painting, you can just get a gurney out. Now, I don't know if you've heard that. Yeah, Tyrone, you have? Yes. Yeah, so rather than painting a house, you just gurney the house down to get rid of the dust and clean it down that way, gurney the driveway, gurney this, gurney that, just to remove the dust and the dirt and what's underneath is, is very, very clean. So, just a, a last minute tip before we wrap up. I think that that's a really, really powerful one. I mean, I've seen it done on previous houses when I was actually looking at um, yeah, looking at buying the because this, this person was a developer himself and uh, he owned numerous investment properties and just before he actually put on the market, I watched him just hire a few tradespeople, come out and just high pressure gun everything and, and just tidy up the gardens and gosh, you know, the appearance it made, the cleanliness it changed it, man, it, it just made it look like almost brand new again. And I think that that's what they do on like straight after they've completed a construction on a house or or development. 
a lot of them come out because you, you know when they're actually building, they've got you know marks of concrete all over the, the brand new bricks or whatever. They're just pretty much grinding it all that off and then it comes out like brand new. So, yeah, things like that can make a huge, huge difference to the sale value of the home. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about then what's next in terms of, say, for example, Simon or, or takeaway task for the for the listeners, what do you think we should um, yeah, provide for this week's assignment? The idea taken from the last podcast was talking about going and looking at some finished buildings. I think this time I suggest the listeners, let's say, go look, go out and look for some real rundown dog boxes, right? And, and you know, we're talking about the renovator's delight um, and we're talking even worse. You know, I've got a client, his nickname is the Termite Whisperer. And and he loves the worse the better. If it's livable, he's not interested, right? He wants stuff that's dilapidated and run down and absolutely, yeah, on the um, structurally fine, as in you you could build around it and you can replace the kitchen and the bathroom and and all that. But we're talking crack dens, we're talking termite dens, we're talking places that yeah that needs a bit of work. So that's my suggestion: is be on the hunt this time for and go and inspect five run down properties and, and then make a list of you know, if you were to renovate them, what do you think it would uh, you would do? Would you replace the kitchen? Would you replace the bathroom? Would you replace the floor coverings or would you polish the floors? What would you actually do? And not only that, add to it on the column on the right, how much do you think each item would cost? Right? So floor coverings might be $3,000. Paint inside might be $5,000, kitchen $5,000, new fence $4,000. So just get in the swing of going and inspecting some rundown properties and what you would personally do to make a buck on it. Would you do a cosmetic reno? Would you do a structural reno? What would the costs be from a renovation point of view as well as what do you think you could sell it for? And just, uh, yeah, go inspect five rundown properties and come up with your you know, mini business plan on what you do to add value and um, sell the property on the other end. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be diving into land subdivisions versus townhouses versus units. Sometimes people think when you're doing land subdivisions, you have to build dwellings on it, not necessarily. Why townhouses can take quite a long time to finish. With townhouses, especially when you're starting out, you can you usually tie yourself up in knots because you really focus on the design and making it perfect and fitting the block and, and things like that. How hard it is to sell vacant blocks of land when you're selling uh, vacant land, it is a lot harder uh, to sell. But there is a skill in it and there is an art in it. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast. Also, we want to give you something extra special just for listening. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and subscribe, you'll receive a free chapter from Nyung's book called Bankable. Inside, you'll learn about which development strategy is right for you, where you can find the best bargains, buy property at a discount and how do you get free blocks of land. Simply visit thinkbigproperty.com to get your free chapter. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.